where you live is, is here. Um, it is just absolutely breathtaking. It's 75 degrees here in the desert. And the nearest cloud is somewhere out over Nevada. And the air is just beautiful. And we say to each other here in Arizona, this is why we live here. Because for the next uh, few months until mid-May, this is just absolutely paradise. And I hope it's just as beautiful where you live too. I just want to remind you of a couple of housekeeping things. We will not be meeting next week because I'm going home to Chicago. I will be home for a few days. And then on the following week when we meet, except in mountain time, or except in Arizona, excuse me, except in Arizona, this meeting will begin at the same time because what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna start the big book study at 11 a.m. mountain time instead of 10 a.m. Pacific time. So no matter where you are, unless you are in Arizona, it will start at the same time. Our regular meetings, Sunday through Thursday, on these same coordinates will begin one hour earlier, no matter where you are, unless you are in Arizona. So if you're not in Arizona, the times of Sunday through Thursday will change and the times for the big book study will not change because I'm gonna start an hour later and that way it'll, it'll coordinate with where you are so that it's the same time. I hope that's not too confusing. Uh, I, it kind of makes sense in my head, but sometimes uh, what makes sense in my head doesn't make sense in the translation. So I hope it, it's clear and concise. No meeting next week. The week after, we will be back here as I will be returning from Chicago. Okay. Um, we have been in the chapter of vision for you, and we are in the chapter where, the, where they're talking about the, how this all got started. And remember that the purpose of the chapter of vision for you is to answer a question for each and every one of us as addicts. What will my life look like without the food? What will my life look like when I cannot recreate with food. You know, food for me was everything. It was my lover, it was my friend, it was my recreation, it was what I did. It soothed me, it comforted me. Having a lot of food around me killed me, but it still comforted me. It gave me great comfort to know that I had a bunch of candy bars. I didn't have them for long as I ate them voraciously, but like we were talking about Halloween, and before the meeting, we were talking about Halloween and one person was talking about how that was the one day a year when their family would allow them to eat candy, et cetera, et cetera. Unfortunately, I ate candy all the time. Uh, I ate it every day, but the bottom line is still that this is one day a year where candy and the acquisition of candy and the acquisition of everything is very commonplace. And so it almost appears that what we're doing is normal. But food for me was everything. It was my lover. It was my friend. It was my companion. When my heart was breaking because I was fat, I took comfort in food. Doesn't that sound crazy that you're 
very uncomfortable because you're fat and you're very uncomfortable because of the way you eat and how people are making fun of you. And yet I took comfort in food. Food was the only thing that really gave me any type of solace from the storm until it didn't. And one day without me knowing it, one day it didn't comfort me anymore. All it did was it just made things much, much worse. And it made things much, much worse very, very quickly. And it made it worse all the time. It just never stopped. And so when I came into program, you were asking me to give up more than just food. You were asking me to give up my recreation. You were asking me to give up my lover. You were asking me to give up my best friend. You were asking me to give up the one thing that I reached for in the dark. The one thing that I comforted myself with when no one else was around. When the only thing I wanted to be was thin and the only thing I could think to do was eat. It never occurred to me that I was insane and that this behavior, this constant push-pull, this yin and, yin and yang, here I am wanting to be thin and all the time eating more and more and more food. I couldn't get drunk and I couldn't get sober. And giving up the food was not just giving up the food. Just like for me, uh, it would be like giving up my best friend, giving up my comfort, giving up everything that gave me any type of, of solace in the storm, some peace and serenity. Doritos could give me peace and serenity amidst the storm. And then I had to come to a conclusion that I was either going to die in the food or live without the food because I couldn't live anymore in the food. It was becoming too horrible. I was an object of ridicule. I would leave the house and children would laugh at me. I would leave the house and adults would laugh at me. I was an object of ridicule no matter where I went. Even my best friends, as much as they loved me, were embarrassed at times to be seen with me. They were embarrassed to walk down the street with me. I couldn't stand and I couldn't sit. I couldn't go in a car. Most cars, I couldn't fit in them and I couldn't fit, I couldn't get out of them. I couldn't get clothes. Even when there was big and tall stores all around me, I couldn't buy clothes. Even when everything was caving in on me, the only thing I knew to do was eat. And it was a horrible, horrible, painful existence a horribly painful existence. Now you may be sitting there or standing there listening to this, whether you're listening live or you're listening on a podcast and you may say, yes, Harlan, I don't relate because I never got to that point. Maybe you didn't, but something happened to bring you to our shores. Something happened where all of a sudden you showed up at our doorstep well, things were not going well for you. And the thing that with life is, is that in life, things change. And what worked so well before, whether it was anorexia, whether it was restricting, whether it was bulimia, whether it was compulsive overeating, it stopped working. And in the chapter of Vision for You, things 
are described here were a fellowship and a way of life and a beautiful, beautiful life springs up where none existed before. And so here we are able to be together. There's 108 of us right now. More people may join, more people may not join. I don't know, but there's over a hundred of us together this morning. And here we are talking about the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And hopefully this morning we'll cover some ground that will give you the same kind of comfort with none of the devastating side effects that food would bring into your life. So let's go to page 159, 159, and the paragraph is in the middle of the page. Trip to Akron and how there were three of them in Akron. There was Bill Wilson, there was Dr. Bob and Bill Dotson. And we've been watching some of the timelines and the timelines are very because it shows us how quickly these guys through the steps and we're making 12-step calls, calling on other people very, very quick. So when people ask the question, we're in that. You're going in and out, Harlan. Oh. Harlan, we're having a hard time understanding you. You keep freezing. He's frozen up right now. He may have gotten kicked out. Oh, I don't know. He, uh, he's there you are. If you leave your video off, we can hear you. I'm going to leave the video off then. Okay. All right. I'm going to leave my video off then. As long as you can hear me, that's good. It's not optimal, uh, but you know we're just going to leave it that way for right now. And if that increases the quality of the audio, then that's really what's more important right now than the video. Okay. We've been talking about Dr. Bob having uh, excuse me, Bill Wilson having Dr. Bob and Bill Dotson sober right now. And then they added a fourth, which was Ernie Galbraith. And Ernie became the fourth. He's the devil may care chap. So for the time being, there's four of them. Ernie will not stay sober, unfortunately, but there's four of them. All right, we're on page 159. All this time, our friend of the hotel lobby incident remained in that town. He was there three months. He's going to get there and he's going to stay there until September. He's going to connect with these guys in May, but in June is when Dr. Bob gets sober. So he's going to stay there June, July, and August. He was actually there more than three months, but a, a while the, for the first while he was there, he didn't even know Dr. Bob. He was there on a proxy fight that we've already talked about last week. He now returned home. So this is September of 1934. This is September of 34. Bill Wilson will return to New York, leaving behind his first acquaintance, Dr. Bob, the lawyer, Bill Dotson, and the devil may care chap, Ernie Galbraith. These men had found something brand new in life. 
though they knew they must help other alcoholics if they would remain sober, that motive became secondary. It was transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. They shared their homes, their slender resources, and gladly devoted their spare hours to fellow sufferers. And what I see so much of in OA today are people that want to do anything except sponsor. And it breaks my heart because if these early members of Alcoholics Anonymous were reluctant to sponsor, if they were reluctant to go out and give this message to the still suffering person, we would not have a program. And that makes me very sad when people won't sponsor. But what's happening here is these men, Ernie Galbraith, Bill Wilson, Dr. Bob, and Bill Dotson are finding something that is going to, is taking the place of alcohol, and that is they have a primary purpose to their life. What is the primary purpose to their life? It is to help other alcoholics find a way to stay sober. And this is becoming their purpose. And what it does is it gives them direction. It gives them purpose to their life. And one of the things I love about my life is I have a purpose. And what does it say in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous on page 77? It says our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. And I feel very strongly that when I do this big book study, or I help another person on the phone, or I help another person with questions or with whatever it is I can do, it gives me tremendous purpose to my life and it makes me feel useful. And I can share this with you from my heart. There is very little else in my life that has ever brought me as close to God as giving service to God through this program. Religion is wonderful. I'm not knocking religion, but I never found God in a synagogue. I never found God in any other way. I found God through the action and continuous action of the Overeaters Anonymous program as it comes from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is exactly the way that I find God today, and I can't imagine finding him any better. If for other people they find God in other ways, that is fantastic. That is great. I found God through these steps. I find God, not found, but find God. I don't want to make it found because I don't want to make it seem like it's past tense. I find God and continue to find God through the continuous action of service to Overeaters Anonymous. I'm doing special edition tomorrow morning. What happened was somebody at the last minute had to cancel out. So Leah asked me, I said, absolutely, no question about it. I will do it. I don't do it for others. I do it because it makes me feel closer to God. And the more closer I feel, from a cat now be be close than close to a damn cat bar. It doesn't seem. You're fading in and out. 
Yeah, I think someone said there's some issues going on. Arlen, you keep going out on us. Are you there, Harlan? I don't hear him. I don't either. Harlan? He, Oops, he, he just, he went he out. Uh, maybe he'll come back in. And we'll yeah, it back. looks like he's going to have to go out and come back in. That might help the situation. Yeah, hopefully. I'll, I'll admit him when he comes back. <laughs> yes, let's do <laughs> I'll stand, I'll stand, I'll be the gatekeeper here. <laughs> for no wind and rain they're sure having a lot of internet problems <laughs> yeah somebody's put in the chat though that there was some sun issue they something about sunspots or something like that yeah. yeah that that's way above my pay grade i don't know about that yeah kind of stuff. me too I'll have to google it <laughs> yeah uh well, folks, while we're waiting for Harlan to come back, we are having a speaker meeting on Sunday night. We're having Daisy from California. I put it in the chat, the times for everyone. I know that some East Coasters that don't have meetings on that night are coming. And uh, so we're excited about our Halloween night uh, speaker meeting. And uh, I put some information about the Thanksgiving um, LA event um, that they have. They've got four speakers um that are going to share and uh, that's in the chat and that's all i have for right now um yeah and harlan's not able to get back in it's looking like let's give him yeah. a few more minutes yeah we'll give him a couple of a few more minutes and okay uh sunspots or a sun outage occurred during two distinct times of the year late february into early march yeah huh well how about that Maybe wow. we could just start thank, meeting. Where thank we you, Lynn. Talk. Thank you, Lynn, from Montreal for sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> that, that might explain some of what's going on. Mary, what'd you say? <laughs> maybe we could just start reading from the Devil Mode Care Chat. These men had found something brand new in life. So they knew they must help other alcoholics if they would remain so sober. That motive became secondary. It was transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others, the service. They shared their homes, their slender resources, and gladly devoted their spare hours to fellow sufferers. They were willing by day or night to place a new man in the hospital and visit him afterward. They grew in numbers. They experienced a few distressing failures, but in those cases, they made an effort to bring the man's family into a spiritual way of living thus receiving much worry, thus relieving much worry and suffering. <laughs> Larry Kay just came in. We can just let him take over. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Larry, are you in the, oh, here comes Harlan. Yep, He's here he back. comes back. Yeah, Larry will be here to uh, antagonize him. He's there yeah. so good at that. <laughs> Welcome back, Harlan. <laughs> Where are you? Not getting him. Harlan, did you make it back in? Oh, 
I was reading today there were a solar flare that's gonna you're gonna be able to see the aura borealis in the northern part of the country. Oh, oh. yeah, that'll yeah, be pretty. Harlan, you're muted. If you're talking, we can't hear you. You're still muted, Harlan. I don't see him. He's here. I see him, but I can't get him done. He can't unmute for some reason. Can I you co-host him so he co-host him so maybe, that he pop, shows up in the maybe. lineup at the top? Okay, there he is. All right. Now okay. You, you wouldn't, I, I couldn't unmute because it kept saying the host will not allow you to unmute. Oh, you're oh, right. God. That's right. Because they yeah. told us to set it that way. Sorry, y'all, yeah. but that's that's the setting we use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, okay. I know where I was, so we'll just pick it up. I'm sorry about that. That's the first time we've had a big technical difficulty like that, too. So I guess we should count our blessings, huh? We should definitely count our blessings that this is the first time that that happened. But I don't think we were down for more than a few minutes. It was just really a matter of turning off my computer, turning it on again, and then going back and doing everything. Can I be heard okay? Yes, sir, you can. Oh, good. Okay, good. So we've been talking about the food being my solid solace, the food being my companion. And these guys illustrate in the book, and it says here, they, they grew away. Yeah, they shared their homes, their slender resources, and gladly devoted their spare hours to fellow sufferers. They were willing by day or night to place a new man in the hospital and visit him afterward. They grew in numbers. They experienced a few distressing failures. Remember that not everybody that came in all of a sudden got sober. Addiction is a tough nut to crack. And a lot of these guys came in with all the hope and all the enthusiasm, but they didn't stay sober. Why? What is the, the biggest reason people don't stay sober? They don't do 10, 11, and 12. When you get past a certain point, if you don't do 10s, you don't do two and 10, the most underutilized steps, you're not gonna stay sober, you're not gonna stay abstinent because the emotions will continue to build. But a lot of these guys didn't stay sober for that reason. But in those cases, they made an effort to bring the man's family into a spiritual way of living, thus relieving much worry and suffering. And I was talking about how it distresses me where there's just a lot of people in OE today. And there, there was 42 years ago when I came in, they will not sponsor. They just won't. I'm too busy and I have this. And I, you know, we find the time to eat. We find the time to practice the disease. We find the time to feel sorry for ourselves. We find the time to rehearse resentment and fear. We find that time. And, you know, we have to make that time to recover. And what is one of the things that is an integral ingredient in recovery? And that is sponsorship. If I'm not sponsoring boys and girls, I'm working. And maybe you're not there yet. I'm not saying if you're on step four that you should be sponsoring or if you're on step, you know, eight or nine, whatever. I'm not saying that. But if you've had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, 
you have to work a 12-step program, not a 10 or an 11-step program. And that's the key to the whole thing. You have to know that it's a 12-step program and that it's not going to work with an 11-step approach. It just isn't going to work. Let's continue because in the next paragraph, we're going to see something that is very, very important to see. It's about meetings. Let's take a look at the next paragraph. And I hope you're as excited as I am at the growth and all the things that we've been able to accomplish. There's 119 of us here today on October the 30th, 2021. Well, let's see how it was on the 1st of January, 1937. Let's see where it was. A year and six months later, so go from June of 35, a year and six months is a year and a half. We are now at January of 1937. And with all the good intentions, remember, Bill is in New York. He's going between the two places as much as he can. He's going by train and sometimes him and Lois would drive, but most of the time they were going by train back and forth between Akron and I almost said Chicago, Akron and New York. Uh, I'm actually going to New York in May, but anyway, that's for another time. A year and six months later, January of 1937, these three had succeeded with seven more. So let's take a look at this. A year and a half with all the alcoholism that's around them, with all the people that are suffering, there are 10 people in the entire world in AA. Remember, Ebby by now has gone back to drinking. Ernie Galbraith has gone back to drinking. Others have gone back to drinking. So in one and a half years, there's 10 of, excuse me, there's 10 of them sober in the world. Could you just imagine, sometimes we complain, oh, I don't want to go to that meeting. Oh, that meeting sucks. I don't want to go to that meeting. Uh, that meeting, I go there and there's only seven people. Or, oh, there's only six people. Could you imagine the look on their face if they went to a meeting and there was six, seven people sitting there? These guys would think they had struck gold. They, these guys would think, oh my God, this is like the mother load. A year and six months and there's 10 people in the world. Some of them are in New York. Now there's Hank Parkhurst, Bill Wilson, Fitz Mayo, Jimmy Burwell in New York. One, two, three, four in New York. And I think Marty Mann may have come in by 37, although I may, no, maybe not. No, no, no. I think she comes in later. Okay. But there's one, two, three, four that I know of that are in New York. And there's also Bill C. And he's going to bring in the serenity prayer. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you ever uh, want to know who brought in the serenity prayer, it was Bill Carney, Bill C. And I'll give you a little historical note that may entertain some of you if you're my age. Do you remember a show called The Honeymooners with Art Carney? and with Jackie Gleason and uh, Joyce Randolph and Audrey Meadow. Do you remember that show, The Honeymooners? Well, 
Art Carney was an alcoholic, as was Gleason, but Art Carney came in and out of AA in the early days, and it was his brother Bill C., Bill Carney, who showed Bill Wilson a copy of the Serenity Prayer that appeared in an obituary in New York in the newspaper around that time. And Bill Carney, Art Carney's brother, was the guy who brought in the serenity prayer. And his brother was Norton on the honeymooners. There's a little trivia question for you. We give you a little Yiddish. We give you a little etymology. Now we're going to give you a little television history that will bring you a little nachas or a little joy. Okay. So if you've ever remembered the honeymooners, it was Art Carney's brother that brought in that prayer. Okay. Seeing much of each other, scarce an evening passed that someone's home did not shelter a little gathering of men and women. Now they're talking primarily about Akron. Akron was what, what they're really kind of focusing this attention on, happy in their release. Now let's stop right there for just a second because you'll hear me talk about this on vision. You'll hear me talk about this here. Happy in their release. I never would have believed that there would be a day that would dawn where I wouldn't eat pizza or I wouldn't eat Milky Way bars or I wouldn't eat whatever. You know, this is the day before Halloween. I would be at the store buying candy like there's no tomorrow. Or when I was a little, little kid, we had what's called beggar's night. And we would go the night before Halloween and see if we could get some candy. And more often than not, we got our more than our fair share of candy when we would go around the neighborhood. Okay, fine. Now, I never would have believed that there would have been a day when I could give up that candy, give up the pizza, give up the food, give up the obsessing about food and the eating of the food and be happy about it. To be happy in their release. And it says here, to shelter a little gathering of men and women. The women primarily were the families because when these guys would go to Oxford group meetings, remember they hadn't split from the Oxford group yet. They hadn't split yet. They were still the drunk squad of the Oxford group. New York split at around this time, started to split at around this time, 37. And Dr. Bob, he dug his heels in. He was not, Clarence Snyder wanted to, to pull out of the Oxford group before they did. He went up to Cleveland, Clarence did, and started the first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous up there. And that's that was the first meeting. But the, the Akron groups broke from the Oxford group a little later than the New York groups. Bill Wilson saw the handwriting on the wall. He said, these people really don't want us and we need to be our own thing. We don't need to be going to Oxford group meetings. But it says here how they made, pres uh, that they were happy in their release and constantly, instead of constantly thinking about food, instead of constantly thinking about myself, instead of constantly, constantly, constantly obsessing about food and eating and all this other nourish kite, they are thinking about how they may present their discovery to some newcomer. What a change in outlook, attitude, and behavior. 
outlook, attitude, and behavior will produce the essential spiritual awakening. And what is the most effective way I know of, maybe you know of a better way, I don't know. What is the most effective way I have seen in my own life and the life of others to how to produce this is through the working tirelessly of the steps, working them quickly, working them constantly, and working them completely as if my life depends on it because it does. Let's continue. In addition to these casual get-togethers, it became customary to set apart one night a week for a meeting to be attended, I'm at the top of 160, by anyone or everyone interested in a spiritual way of life. So they're opening it up, okay? Aside from fellowship and sociability, the prime object was to provide a time and place where new people might bring their problems. Now, I wish he had been a little more specific. He's not talking about, oh my God, I, go to, I gotta go to the meetings, my wife's a witch. Oh my God, I gotta go to the meeting, the dry cleaner screwed up my suit. Oh my God, my car doesn't start. That's not what they're talking about. When they talk about where newcomers might bring their problems, they're talking about their problems with alcoholism. Remember that even before we had the traditions, we had the germination, we had the emanation point of the traditions, and they focused on their love of the program and their problems with alcohol, not just, oh, my wife's a witch, oh, my husband's a jerk, oh, whatever. No, 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 no. They're talking about their problems with alcohol. So you can see that they gathered together to talk about their spiritual principles, to talk about their problems with alcohol. Very, very important. Now, one of the families in Akron that opened up their um, home to this valuable work were T. Henry and Clarice Williams. And T. Henry and Clarice Williams helped tremendously in Akron with the meetings by opening their home, by opening their hearts, by opening their lives to the work that was being done by this drunk squad of the Oxford group. And Bill, without mentioning their names, is going to give them an homage here in the book. I'm at the top of 160. Okay, outsiders became interested. One man and his wife placed their large home at the disposal of this strangely assorted crowd. There's the understatement of the century, very strangely assorted crowd. But what are we today? There's 120 of us right now on the line. What are we today but a very strangely assorted crowd? But one thing we have in common, two things we have in common. We have the allergy of the body. I'm assuming, I don't know, I don't, I don't have an inventory on all of you, but we have an allergy of the body and a twist of the mind. We are compelled by our minds to eat food against our will that we know is killing us in search of the effect. 
And we have bodies that will react completely different, completely different than a normal person's body to that food. We were just talking about Halloween and we were talking about the candy that, that this one person was able to eat that one day a year. One of those little tiny Hershey bars, why people would buy a little tiny Hershey bar? Obviously these are not Jewish people. I don't know who gets these, but in my, in my life, a Hershey bar is a freaking Hershey bar. Don't, don't, don't put me in thing with the little tiny one. That, that's not for me. Come on, what, what are you doing? Anyway, I could eat that little Hershey bar and everything in my life will change. Every thought that I have in my head will change. All I'm gonna be able to think about is where am I gonna get more and more and more and more. And it looks like I'm listening to you and it looks like I'm there, but I'm not. Dr. Silkworth in the doctor's opinion tells me three times to put these foods down. What is he talking about? The allergy producing foods. To me, anything fried, sugar, artificial sweetener, heavy fat, heavy starch is alcohol because it's gonna produce the same thing in me that the alcoholic will, will have produced when he drinks or she drinks alcohol in my body. And he says, any description of the alcoholic, which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. Any food that I take into my body that has sugar, fried food, crunchy, artificial sweetener, heavy starch, fatty food like that, I cease to exist and a transformation comes over me and all I can become is an eating machine. That's what we have in common. Now, it may not affect all of us the same way. Some of us are anorexic. I am not. Some of us are bulimic. I am not. Some of us restrict, that's anorexia. We restrict, we get a high from not eating. I don't get that. I don't know. I've never, never really tried. I never really examined that before. I don't know. My high comes from consuming those foods, those ingredients of foods. I'm already knowing I'm already knowing, that's terrible. I already know that when I go to the wedding, they're probably not gonna eat dinner till 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And I also know that there's nothing there for me. I'm gonna eat before I go. And the mother of the bride knows this very well about me. I can't eat dinner at 9.30 at night and I can't eat what they're serving. It's not on my food plan. They may serve you food that may look or seem abstinent, but I have no idea what's in that sauce. I have no idea what is um, seasoning this. There is sugar in pepper. There is sugar in seasoned salt. There is sugar in a lot of these things that you see all the time and you pass off as innocent, but they're not innocent to me. 
They're not innocent to me. If I go to the store and I see seasoned salt or I see pepper or I see some of these seasonings that are used by caterers on food, there is sugar in those ingredients. I'm not eating them. I'm not going to dance with the devil. I'm not going to dance with this disease. Are you nuts? I'll be thrown on my head. You dance with a gorilla. When are you done dancing? You're done when the gorilla says you're done. You're done. I'm done eating when the gorilla says I'm done eating. And I don't want that in my life. I'm going to enjoy the wedding even more knowing I don't have to worry about it. So let's continue. The couple has since become so fascinated that they have dedicated their home to the work. Without people like this, we wouldn't be where we are today. Let's always remember, it isn't that Bill met Bob and AA sprung out of their tuchuses. That is not what happened. There were lots of people in lots of different, lots of different direction, walks of life, different capacities that made this program what it is today. And we owe a debt of gratitude to each and every one of those people. Each and every one of those people gave us the program that we so treasure today. Very, very important to remember. Okay, many a distracted wife has visited this house to find loving and understanding companionship among women who knew her problem, to hear from the lips of their husbands what had happened to them, to be advised how her own wayward mate might be hospitalized and approached when next he stumbled. Now, obviously, we hope that no one stumbles. We hope sincerely that no one stumbles. And I don't want to give you a license to go eat Halloween candy tomorrow night. But if you do stumble, one of the things that I hope will always happen, whether it's me, whether it's whoever, that there will be a place like this big book study, these meetings, and things are changing. You're in the metamorphosis. You're in the change. Some of the face-to-face -face meetings that existed for so long will never come back, or at least they won't come back for a very, very long time. And some of them are starting to come back. Some of them are going to change, but now everything, not everything, but most of the things are phone and Zoom. And so if you took a look at the 121 people here today, we come from all kinds of different countries. We come from all walks of life. And this is the new um, Williams house. This is T. Henry and Clarice Williams home is what we're in today. Only it's a modern electronic computerized internet aided uh, location. So we're not with T. Henry and Clarice anymore. Now we're on the, the web. Now we're on Zoom. <sighs> okay, let's continue. Many a man yet days from his hospital experience has stepped over the threshold of that home into freedom. Freedom. Freedom from the compulsion to eat. Freedom from the compulsion to be laughed at. Freedom from the emasculated body and the emasculated mind that I lived with. Freedom to walk the streets a free man 
because I don't owe anybody any money. I don't have to worry about who I lied to. I don't have to worry about who I might run into that I owe money to. I don't have to worry about any of that today. I'm square with the house. My books are an open book. I'm here, I'm me, and I'm free. I'm free. Leah always says on a vision for you, how free do you want to be? The question is, how much work are you willing to do? Am I willing to let go of a resentment that I feel is so justified? Am I willing to make an amends that might cost me a lot of money? Am I willing to do what is prescribed to me in the big book of AA so that I can have that freedom that God has promised me? This is not a dress rehearsal. This is life. This is life. And it's the only life I get to live. This is not a dress rehearsal. I'm not going to get to come back here in a day or a week after dying or a hundred years after dying that I know of and live that life again. I don't get to do that. I don't get to say, I'll do it in my next life. I have to do it now. Leah says all the time, how free do you want to be? It's up to you. Many an alcoholic who entered there came away with an answer. He succumbed to that gay crowd inside who laughed at their own misfortunes and understood his. There's a place that I can go and be understood. And when he says gay, he's not talking about sexual preference here. He's talking about gay. What does gay mean? Gay means happy. I'm gay. I'm happy. I'm heterosexual, but I want to be gay. Why? Because gay is happy, joyous, free. You know, I've done a lot of big book studies around the country, and I've done them in Israel, and I've done them in Canada, and I've done them all over, and I love doing them. I hope we get back to that soon. I don't know. I know that there's one that's going on in Texas next weekend, which is the first one that I've heard of in a very long time that's in person. And um, I love going to them. And I love going to the OA birthday. And by the way, registration is open for the birthday. I suggest you register. It's on Zoom. It's not in person. And registration is open for it. And I would hope that you would take advantage of that. But what I marvel at is the people who don't even live in the same area or that don't really know each other that well are sitting together and laughing and enjoying their meal and enjoying their um, retreat together. And we're learning together and we're laughing together and we're crying together as only we can. And we speak and understand the language of the heart as no one else does. We're the only people that have experienced the disease and we're the only people that have experienced a recovery therefrom. And if I can't be comfortable with you, then there's something wrong with me. And that's why when there is a convention, the birthday, the vision convention, a retreat in your local area, 
a convention in your local area, take advantage of it. Don't be scared. If you can't be comfortable in this group, who are you going to be comfortable with? We are very, very loving people, most of us. Very loving, and you're safe here. You don't have to worry. We speak and understand the language of the heart. It's a, it's a tough life. It's, it can be a very tough life. But when you have a place to go, like OA, when you have a place to go and be understood and understand, it's a lot to have. You know, I have friends of mine that are very successful in business. And I have friends of mine that are marginally successful. I wouldn't trade places with any of them in this regard. I have a place that I can go, whether I'm up or down or scared or happy. And I am home. I am home in a way that is second to none that there is a home here and it is in the fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous. And it gives me something that the Doritos could not give me. It gives me something that chocolate milk couldn't give me. It even gives me something that my mother and father couldn't give me as much as they loved me, as much as they loved me. My father was an immigrant. He was scared of his own shadow. He was sure every day that he went to bed that the next day would bring the soldiers that would round up the Jews and kill us. This is how he lived his life. And you couldn't shake him out of it. He knew in his heart, they're definitely going to kill us. There's no question. They're going to round us up and they're going to kill us all. And my mother... She had three distinct personalities, two years old, three years old, two years old, screaming, raving, lunatic, and a pretty together person. You never knew what you were going to get or how long it was going to last. But I have a place that I can go. And you have a place where you can go. And as it says on that TV program where everybody knows your name and you can be cared about and you can not only be loved, but you can love others in return. It is far better to have this than the food. Food could not give me this. Food never gave me this. It's a lot to have. And it's only obtainable for free. All you have to do is keep coming back and keep doing the steps. All you have to do is keep coming back and work the steps. Let's finish this paragraph. It's so important. Impressed by those who visited him at the hospital, he capitulated entirely when later in an upper room of this house, this house meaning Dr. Bob's house, on Ardmore Street in Akron. He heard this, oh, not, not this, I'm sorry, not Dr. Bob's house, T. Henry and Claris Williams. I was wrong, I was a mistake. T. Henry and Claris Williams's house, not Dr. Bob's house. Same city, wrong house. He heard the story of some man whose experience closely tallied with his own. 
the expression of the, on the faces of the women, that indefinable something in the eyes of the men, the stimulating and electric atmosphere of the place conspired to let him know that there was haven at last. And look at what God has done for us. He took our tears and our heartbreak and the blood and the sweat that we've experienced and the tears trying to rid ourselves of this disease, believing lies. And what are the lies that we believed that if we only got down to a certain weight, everything would be okay. That's not true. The lie is if we just had enough willpower, everything would be okay. And that's simply not true. The lie is, is that abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. And that's not true. Abstinence is a means to an end. Abstinence is like English 101. When I went to university in downtown Chicago, Roosevelt University, I had to take English 101. Is that why I went to college is to pass English 101? No, but without English 101, you're not getting a degree. It's not going to happen. Abstinence is English 101. Abstinence does not treat the disease. I'm gonna say this again. Abstinence does not treat the disease of compulsive overeating. Only a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps treats it, because as it says in chapter three, as it says in chapter two, as Bill illustrates for us in chapter one, as Dr. Silkworth alludes to in the doctor's opinion, we have an illness that only a spiritual awakening will conquer. And abstinence alone will not bring that about. Okay? Abstinence is key. It is extremely important. However, however, in and of itself, it will not give you these promises. The spiritual awakening will bring about these promises so that you will have a home with God and here in the program. You don't hear that a lot. People don't say it. It's considered heresy. I've been chastised severely for saying that in different locations in this country. But abstinence alone does not treat the disease. Now, I'm not telling you to call Los Angeles and call New Mexico and say, Harlan told us we don't have to be abstinent. I, de I didn't say that. I said, you have to take English 101. You have to be abstinent. You have to be free of these things. The only, the only thing we have to suggest is entire abstinence. But it doesn't say stop there. It says keep going. That there's more to it than just abstinence alone. And the freedom, this is where you fly. The freedom is not only in the working of the steps, but it is in the continual delving into the things as they come up that produce the necessary growth, that produce the necessary healing. And you will start to heal in areas of your life 
that you didn't even know needed attention. I am a stronger, better person today in many areas of life that I would not have bargained for any healing on because I didn't even know they were a problem. I didn't know that I was this codependent. Today, I am not. I say no when I mean no and yes when I mean yes. I'm honest in my communication rather than dishonest. Sometimes I still compare myself to other people and sometimes I'm very human and I have weaknesses and character defects and things like that will manifest in different ways, but I am better off, way better off than I was. And abstinence alone does not bring that about. It's working with others. It's continually living in 10, 11, and 12. It's doing the work necessary. How do I find a home here? By building one. By building one. How do I build the home here? Well, keep coming back. Give of yourself with no expectation of any return of any kind. Let's finish one more paragraph if we can. I think we can. Every time I look at my clock when I'm doing one of these, I'm like this, I'm like shocked. I have like a visceral reaction that it's that late. I can't believe, I thought it was like 10.30, it's 10.59. The very practical approach to his problems. I'm at the bottom of 160. I'm at the bottom of 160. The very practical approach to his problems, the absence of intolerance of any kind. And that is something that has to be worked at because I think everybody should just be like me. You should just think like me and you should just agree with everything I say. And that's not, that's not the world that we're living in. And thank God that's not the world that we're living in. Because if everybody was like me, then we're, not, we're unnecessary. And it's beautiful that we're different. It's beautiful that we're different. I want to see more diversity in OA before I die. You know, I don't have the time or the interest to scroll through the faces. And most of you are not on camera. I'm kind of doing a little of it as I'm sitting here. But I can tell you something that really disturbs me. And I've mentioned this before. We're going to run a little over today. I go to these conventions in Los Angeles, or I go to Boston, or I'll go to Newark, or I'll go to Chicago. Or I go to these conventions, there's a thousand people, or there's 1,200 people, or 800, whatever the hell there is. And there's seven people of color. How is that possible? We are going to be better off when we're different. We are going to be better off when there's more diversity within OA. If I came to most OA meetings, most OA conventions, most OA retreats, I would come away with the impression that this is an illness that affects white people. And that is not the case. It affects, it's an indiscriminate disease and it doesn't care who it affects. So I hope, sincerely hope, that before I die, and I'm 67, so hurry up. Before I die, we are going to see more diversity within the ranks of our members. The informality, the genuine democracy, 
the uncanny understanding which these people had were irresistible. It's a beautiful thing to be a part of. He and his wife would leave. We're talking about <clears throat> T. Henry and Clarice would, would have Ill, would leave elated. Oh, we're talking about someone that came to the meeting, sorry, by the thought of what they could now do for some stricken acquaintance. If all you can do is tell them about our meeting, that's a lot. Do that. And his family, they knew they had a host of new friends. It seemed they had known these strangers always. Now, I am going home to Chicago on Wednesday. And I'm going to see people that I went to grammar school with and high school, and we worked the same jobs. And we had crushes on the same girls. They got them. I didn't, unfortunately. But um, we had crushes on the same girls. And I knew their parents. I knew their grandparents. They knew my moms and my moms, mom and dad. I didn't have more than one mom, sorry but I can be more myself with you than I can with them. They don't get it and they never will. And they don't understand for the life of them why eating chicken at a wedding that has a thick gravy on it is dangerous to me because after all, look how much weight you've already lost. They don't understand why I'm here today and they never will. And they're smart, but they don't understand. Bill Wilson said at the end of his life, to those who understand, no explanation is necessary. And to those who do not understand, none is plausible. Many of you have tried to make people understand what it's like to be you in this disease, and they never will get it. The only one that has to get it is you. Let's finish the paragraph. They had seen miracles and one was to come to them. They had visioned the great reality. Great reality is in capital letters. The great reality is that you are not alone. The great reality is just what we've been talking about, that there are other sufferers that God has brought into your life so that you can have a fellowship of people around you. God made that possible, not Bill and Bob, not Harlan. Bill and Bob were vessels. That's all they were. They were conduits of God's will. That's all they were. God makes this possible. Their loving and all-powerful creator, that's in capital letters, because it's like a higher power for some, is the fellowship. Let's end there. I'm going to mark down our place. I'm going to mark down, not November 6th. I'm going to put down big book, book 11, 13, 21. And we're going to start on page 161. Now this house. That's the house of T. Henry and Clarice Williams. Okay, before we transition... I'm going to just remind you, we're not meeting next Saturday. And unless you live in the state of Arizona, this meeting will be at the same time on the 13th of November, because I'm going to start this an hour later. Here's the sacrifice I'm making. I'm going to have lunch an hour later. That is quite a sacrifice. Okay.
Now our Mon our Sunday through Thursday meetings, unless you live in Arizona, will begin one hour earlier. Okay, I hope that's clear. If you asked a question last week, please step back and let other people come forward. And then when they're done, you can come up with yours. No math. And for the love of God, no food questions. And with that, I'm going to turn it back to Patsy or Sue or Maria or somebody. Um, Thank you know. so much. All Thank right. you, Harlan. Um, 